0: Welcome to Adulting, a podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to Adulting. I am Harlan Landis, and I am here with Miranda Marquit. How are you doing today, Miranda?
1: I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today?
0: I am doing just very well.
1: Just very well, not fantastic.
0: Uh, you know, somewhere somewhere in the middle. Who knows?
1: <laughs> and we're talking about love good. today. Yeah, we're talking about love and the one. <laughs> so, I guess
0: the question is is there really just one person for any one person?
1: Well, my personal opinion is no, and it looks like science might be backing me up. So that Uh, makes me happy. (laughs) I like it when I'm right.
0: (laughs) So what does science have to say about finding the one true love of your life? (laughs)
1: Well, first of all, I think it's kind of interesting that you say that because we talk about soulmates. We talk about finding your soulmate and and having that person to be with. And one of uh, Psychology Today and Psychology Today, they were talking about how soulmates actually exist. And you can find soulmates. uh, Well, not find them. You don't actually find them. It's not what we think they are. You actually become soulmates as you commit to each other and you do things together but we have this idea that, you know, your soulmate is this one person that fulfills all your needs and you just meet them and it clicks.
0: So we like to hope that there's someone out there who's just waiting for us, waiting to meet us. And then there's going to be a connection that's going to be perhaps immediate, or maybe it'll take a little bit of time, but you would know pretty soon that you were meant to spend the rest of your lives together. And, and science is saying that is not actually how love works.
1: Well, not long-term enduring love, anyway. Uh, and in fact, there there's another study from the Journal of Experimental Psychology that they talk about the idea of made-for-each-other, how we talk about, you know, hey, we're meant for each other, we're made for each other, we're perfect for each other. This idea, this framing of your relationship and this framing of love is actually detrimental.
0: Well, it seems like an idealized view of a relationship.
1: Right, yeah, you have this idea that there's this person and they're perfect for you and everything's just going to be hunky-dory all the time.
0: Yeah, well, obviously relationships don't actually work like that.
1: Right, and the problem with the made-for-each-other thing, there are some issues with that, right? If, if you think you're completely made-for-each-other and you're supposed to be perfect. I mean, the first thing is it sets up unreasonable expectations. Right, right?
0: Yeah, that's going to lead to disappointment almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Right, because there's always something. I mean, I guess they, they call that the honeymoon period where all the emotions are there, all the chemicals in your brain are firing, they're firing away, and you see past all of the annoying little things that your partner does.
1: Right, and and you have these things that you have in common, and so you think, oh, well, we're perfect, we never disagree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, what happens when you have your first disagreement? So you have these unreasonable expectations, and then that sets you up for reduced relationship satisfaction.
0: Right. And if you're not feeling satisfied in your relationship, that could lead to perhaps an ending of the relationship when you perhaps don't need to necessarily.
1: Right. And that's part of it, too, right? Because you have this idealized idea. And so once things get hard, you're just like, oh, I guess you weren't my soulmate after all. So you know, moving on. (laughs) And well, the problem with
0: that is if you just maintain that approach time after time, you'll You know, if if you see happiness as being in a fulfilled relationship, you'll probably never get to that happiness.
1: Right. Well, yeah, and you'll just you'll be in a series of relationships. You'll be a serial relationship person, Hmm. right, (laughs) where you just keep going, right? Yeah, because you're you're keep trying to find that perfect one. So it kind of makes you unhappy in your life as well. Uh, and, And I think another issue that you run into when you have this made for each other mentality is you don't work together to improve your relationship because you think you're supposed it's just supposed to be you know, it's supposed to be perfect from the outset and you and you don't really think about improving your relationship because why should you? Because of course you're made for each other.
0: Well yeah, I think that comes from this idea that like the perfect relationship everything will just be easy but relationships any kind of any kind of relationship you have with anybody if you want it to be something long term has to be maintained over time just like oh just like owning a car just like owning a house you know you have to keep keep up the maintenance you have to continually work on things or else um entropy and chaos take over
1: Man, man, like this whole relationship thing. is kind of a bummer, right? <laughs> you have to you have to try at things.
0: It's true. It's true. You have it's, to it's actually make an effort. I mean, that's without anything, right? You want to succeed in anything in right. your life. You have to make an effort and relationships are included just because you found, you know, someone who you think is the one or your soulmate. That doesn't mean it's suddenly going to be easy for the rest of your life.
1: Right. And I think one of the things that the made for each other issue doesn't um, address as well is the fact that people grow and change and progress as people. So if you have somebody that you think is perfect as they are and they start changing down the road, then you have this potential to be set up that you think you've been cheated. You've been duped right cuz pe- right. people people don't
0: they don't stay exactly the same over time i mean i know personally my interests my passions have changed my focus has changed onto different things um i think deep down i'm the same kind of person that i've always been um but I do work on different things and I work on different aspects of my life and I know that I've changed and someone who knew me in high school, for example, may not be all that interested in me now, now that I'm 40.
1: Right, exactly. And I've you know, looked at this and I've gone through different periods and I am, like you, a completely different person than I was before. And when you set yourself up, in this made for each other situation or perfect for each other situation you run the risk not allowing your partner to change and not allowing you to change because what does that mean does it mean you're not going to be so perfect for each other anymore and the idea behind these two these two looks at you know soulmates and finding the one the idea behind both of these is basically to say hey, you know, this is something you become over time as you work together, as you grow together, as you change and as you put the work into your relationship.
0: Yeah, and and another problem with believing that within a relationship, one is made for the other or you're made for each other, is that you end up relying on the other person to furnish emotional needs, which is something that you kind of have to take on for yourself. You do have to control and take control of your own emotional needs so you're not relying on your partner too much.
1: And I think part of that too is a realization that one person can't be everything to you all the time. Uh, One of the things that Uh, my ex and I realized after, after the divorce was that we kept trying to make the other person into like the person that could be everything. When in reality, he had a best friend that, you know, she provided a different outlook for him. She's in the same field as he was. And then I had other friends that I really enjoyed being with in my own work and people I could talk to about things that maybe I couldn't talk to him about. Not that, you know, we didn't have that communication. It's just that it wasn't a the same level of interest to him.
0: Well, that's a big burden to put on someone else. Exactly. And, and it also leads to codependency, which is another major issue that um, is, it's an unhealthy uh, relationship that, that you definitely need to, it, it, it needs work, just like everything else that we're saying. Uh, sometimes relationships are work and um, you have to make sure that everybody has a healthy approach to it.
1: Right, and, and so yeah, so just saying, oh well, we're made for each other; we're perfect for each other. We, it precludes the idea of, hey, you know, there are maybe some aspects of your life that you can get fulfilled elsewhere.
0: Now, it's interesting. I want to go back for a second because you said something a little earlier. You know, you have your, you have your spouse, but you also have your best friend. Now, a lot of people say that you know, marrying your best friend is the best idea that you can mm-hmm. have because uh, you know you already have this very close relationship, you've already worked on the things that you have in common, you've already identified perhaps some differences, um, and you've already gotten to the point where you're very comfortable in this particular close relationship. And so perhaps marrying your best friend or, or having a long-term committed relationship with your best friend is one way to kind of grow that soulmate um, uh, aspect
1: yeah, and I think that that can definitely help uh, in some cases. And I think that does work very well for some relationships, but it may not work for every relationship. So I think it's a good idea to, you know, be aware of that and, and to think about that and, and think about it in terms of, uh, you know, am I really putting all of this on one person to like furnish everything that I need emotionally? And does that even make sense? And is that even realistic?
0: Everything that we want from a relationship might be too much to ask from one person. So is there ever a situation, and we've talked a little bit about this before, where there is an opportunity for soulmate relationships, whatever that happens to be for for one person or another, to involve more than just one partner?
1: Yeah, so there are a couple of things. First of all, they talk about how you can develop a soulmate relationship probably with not just one person. There's probably not just one person out of the, what, 7 billion people on the planet. You're probably going to be compatible with hundreds of people on this planet. And turning one of them into a soulmate uh, for a long-term relationship is definitely a possibility, and that's something you can do with different people. So there's not just one person out there for you. There are probably hundreds of people out there for you that you could make it work with.
0: Now, before you go (laughs) on from that, it's it's interesting because we talk about the total population of the Earth, and that's great. (laughs) You know, it's great that there might be a few hundred people within 7 billion, but in our experience from day to day, we don't actually have relationships with that many people from which to pull you know a small percentage of so we might only meet uh several thousand people a year for instance what are the chances from all the people that you actually do meet not the people in the world that you find someone who has the potential to be a soulmate see that's that's a different question
1: and it actually says it's pretty decent <laughs> because the bottom line is is if you meet people who share some of your same interests and if you have some of the same values and you're willing to make it work, then you can probably make it work. Uh, I, I mean, my mom used to say you can make it work with any number of people as long as you have the same basic values and you're willing to go to work with it. Right. And I think that's that's kind of the key, what we were talking about earlier is is making it work.
0: So it sounds like we're saying that there are a number of options, but – for the most part most people tend to create relationships with just one of those options at a time they're not they're not heading into you know multiple um person relationships where you have three people acting as soulmates or or more
1: yeah so they're talking about how you can you can do this either you know finding one person that you can turn into a soulmate out of many of the options or there is some research that indicates there's something from life science that was looking at research that indicates that humans might be naturally polygamous as well as monogamous, that these traits are both ingrained into humans and some humans are kind of lean a little bit more toward kind of these more polygamous or lean more toward promiscuity. And so it was kind of interesting to look at this and say, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) So that, uh, that humans, you know, we're not really, all of us are not really primed to be naturally monogamous.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't think whether we're naturally, quote, unquote, programmed, quote, unquote, a certain way is really all that relevant to the way people live their lives, because people make choices, and they do what they do. And, you know, because of, an environment that they're in or the way that they feel or the society that they're in. Um, you know, I, I think that has a a big pull on how we choose to live our relationships, all the different ways we choose to have our relationships, whether we're monogamous or we love many people. What is the difference anyway, between polyamory and polygamy? <laughs>
1: I don't know that there's a huge difference other than the idea of, you know, kind of a legal marriage, right? Polygamy just talks about having multiple spouses or, I mean, since it's not legal in the United States where we live right now, you know, there are some religious groups where they, you know, have kind of a spiritual thing, but they're considered spouses. Polyamory is just more about loving. It's more about loving and not just that relationship, that spousal, that long-term relationship, but it's more about like how you love people and can you love and have that romantic feeling toward more than one person at a time.
0: Yeah, and it seems to me that there's no reason why you can't have the strongest feelings of love towards more than one person. The problem where I see it is that, you know, like we talked about before, Relationships are a great deal of work. Right. And having to put that much work into multiple relationships is probably something that most people aren't prepared for. Um, you know, if you're going to do it right, you probably only have enough capacity to do it right for one person.
1: Right. And I know people who say that they make it work. And That's cool, (laughs) I guess. You know, and they talk about open relationships and I've met a few people in open relationships who are very committed to their, they talk about their primary partner and then they have uh, maybe like a secondary partner or they date around a little bit or like to have some flings and that goes back to getting your needs met somewhere else. I actually have somebody here in town who is in an open relationship and Both of them have both approached me (laughs) and I don't know what I'm where I'm at with that, but they've both approached me and they both think that I might have something to fulfill a need that they have, even though they're happily married to each other.
0: It's very interesting.
1: It's been a weird year. I tell you what. So
0: a lot of cultures, you know, moving on from one culture to another, a lot of cultures also still take the approach that an arranged marriage is going to be more successful than, you know, letting young adults decide for themselves who to marry.
1: Yeah. So one of the interesting things was there is an article from the Daily Mail in the UK who were talking about uh, relationships and arranged marriages. And it says within 10 years, the connection felt by those in arranged marriages is said to be around twice as strong as those in like non-arranged marriages. They say it's because part of it's because arranged matches are carefully considered. They're thought out going into whether their family's interests and life goals are compatible. And then also they're more likely to commit to life sticking through the rocky patches where if you marry for love, you're blinded by passion. You overlook these details and then you find this stuff out later right? When the going gets tough, uh, according to this, it says they are more likely to view the situation as a natural end to the romantic dream. It's fate telling them something is wrong. (laughs) Well,
0: even even if that's the case, I I don't think it's terribly bad that, say, you know, we talk about compatibility here. And just because two people seem to be compatible, doesn't always mean that they're destined for a great relationship and just because two people seem to be incompatible when you you know lay down all the facts that doesn't mean that they can't build a strong relationship either
1: and that's the thing i mean it comes down to you know are you willing to stick with it are you willing to go on this journey together and do you grow this now so there's a there's a cool display that i saw in um in the science museum in calgary over the summer and it talks about your brain on love and i will get this picture that we can share in our show notes but this is an interesting thing about neurotransmitters and how they act in your brain when you're in love and i just saved this picture because i thought it was so interesting so first of all when you're one of the neurotransmitters is dopamine, right? And it's that's that reward thing that clicks off. <laughs> and and when you're at the beginning stages of a romantic relationship, you've got this dopamine and then you also have one called n- norepipherine. <laughs> saying that wrong, I'm sure, where it talks about infatuation and it swells and exciting and your heart beats faster and you have that anticipation and that reward brain, that reward center of your brain is getting clicked off and you're, it's this exciting part, right? But then as time goes on and you get used to it, right? You need more and more of it, right? To keep the dopamine going. It's like a drug. (laughs) And so, so it starts to drop off and it stopped being as effective, but there is a neurotransmitter called oxytocin and that's a connection thing it's the connection and it grows and so uh, it talks about how when you fall in love the dopamine and the norepinephrine spike thrilling and distracting you but they don't last your brain can't handle that much stimulation for years so if you can make it last then this oxytocin oxytocin comes in and it grows that connection so then you have a stronger connection
0: Yeah, so the science behind it is pretty interesting, but, you know, I think for the most part where we go by our feelings because that's how those chemicals, you know, how they manifest in real life is we have these feelings. And whether there's a reason that we feel that, you know, perhaps the infatuation phase is over and we now need to look somewhere else to get that excitement. I think that's one possibility, and then another is to find ways to continually refresh some of the chemicals from the beginning, so you can continually do that in the relationship that you're in.
1: And I think, too, no matter how you view a relationship, whether you're looking at it in terms of, I want to find one person to settle down with, or I want to be involved in serial monogamy, where you know we'll see how this works for a while, and then I'll try somebody else for a while when this doesn't work anymore, or whether you're... Trying out polyamory or, or trying out something else, I think the important thing is that you need to figure out you first, and that 's the most important thing
0: and that 's probably one of the hardest things because um you know sometimes we don 't know ourselves, and I think i 've gotten to the point now where i I know myself pretty well for the most part what 's interesting is. I have gone, like you said earlier, from one long-term relationship to another for a long time.
1: You're a serial monogamist.
0: Yeah, I, I guess you could say that. And then I haven't really had too much of a chance to be by myself and sort of explore who I am, although I have in ways found, you know, I have had opportunities to do that because a lot of my relationships have been distant in terms of, um, you know, just we live far away from each other. So I do spend a lot of time alone and I do kind of know who I am. I just haven't had really a uh, the opportunity to be single.
1: I, I'm actually finding in this last uh, little more than a year since my divorce that I really like being single. I enjoy being single, not necessarily like dating a lot, but I just enjoy being single. I enjoy finding those connections. And, you know, I've had some really great connections and some really interesting experiences in the last year that kind of solidify my love of being single.
0: Yeah, and I think this is really important because there is so much pressure on people, especially young people, to find a relationship and to be in a relationship, and it's not necessary. It's not a. It's not a status symbol. It's not a sign of having. Um, you know, being more mature. I think being single and learning about yourself is is probably um, a good gateway towards becoming an adult. I think a lot of people miss the opportunity to do that because they're so transfixed on this idea of being in a relationship that they kind of forget who they are or they don't discover it in the first place.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting was when I was growing up at church, uh, we used to do this thing in our young women's class where we would write about our future husbands, write letters to our future husbands and think about what they would be like and what we wanted. And I was thinking about that and I was like, well, what kind of person do I want to be? Perhaps instead of thinking so much about what you wish you had in a partner, you think about, well, what can I do to be a good partner? And kind of go from there or at least be honest to say, hey, I'd make a really crappy partner and I really don't want to be a good partner. <laughs> I'm happy being single, which is where I'm at. I like, you know, I, I have friends. I'm willing to help my friends. We do things together. <clears throat> we hang out. We have some good times. But I'm just really not interested in having a long-term committed relationship with anybody right now. Because when I did get married at age 22 and then I spent the next 13 and a half years being married, running up to that point, I was always focused on let's find a relationship to be in. And now that I you know, have kind of left that behind and, um, and have had this divorce, now I'm thinking, well, maybe I don't need a relationship to be in. And maybe that will change in a few years. Who knows? But right now, I'm, I like being single and I'm happy.
0: I think it comes down to figuring out exactly what's going to make you happy at any particular time. And while you can't have everything in the world that would make you happy at the time that you want to have it, don't forget that you don't have to put so much pressure on yourself to have any sort of relationship in your life.
1: Right. True. So what are some of those do nows that you can do right as we're working out? If you're looking for the one right now, what are some of the things you can do right now?
0: Well, I think we can self-evaluate a little bit and think about the type of person that you are in a relationship and just kind of identifying who that is. And uh, is it any different than, you know, you outside of a relationship? Are, Are there certain ways that you act in one situation that you wouldn't act in another?
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And another thing to think about is, I know I said earlier, oh, you know, don't just think about what you want in a partner, which, I mean... You do need to think about yourself and what you would like to be as a partner, but you can take some time. What do you want in a partner? Make a list, but try and keep it from being too specific. I think a lot of the time we have these very specific pictures in our head of what we think the soulmate should look like. And we miss opportunities because we're so – we have such tunnel vision So I think when you're looking at, well, what would make a good partner, like broader things like, well, do we share the same religious values? Do we want to have the same kind of future? You know, what kind of things, you know, are these big picture things, items that we have in common and kind of keep it broad and not worry so much about drilling down to like these very specific minuscule things that, you know, they have to make X amount of dollars and they have to do this X amount of times a week, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, I think just keeping yourself open to the possibilities is really important because, like we said at the top, your soulmate... Doesn't necessarily look like something that you're expecting. And um by look like, I don't mean just looks, but uh, <laughs> but it, 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 you know you you may not notice them at first. So the more you're open to the possibilities, the more of a chance there is that you could build these soulmate relationships over over a period of time,
1: right. And I think finally, you also need to consider the fact that maybe you don't fit the mold society says you should fit. I think sometimes we get so caught up in this idea that we have to be in a relationship or we have to find a soulmate or we have to, you know, we have to find somebody who's going to help us make this perfect family in the way we've been told we have to have a perfect family that we once again miss out on opportunities to live very fulfilling lives.
0: So we have a listener question. Every time I think I found my soulmate, things go sideways after a little while. Everything is okay and perfect to start and it's exciting, but then things go wrong how can I find my real soulmate, someone who makes it easy all the time because we're just perfect for each other?
1: Yikes. <laughs> yeah. no, that doesn't exist. <laughs> no, I mean,
0: this, the idea of perfect doesn't exist in people, right? Nobody is perfect for anybody. We might feel that way, and it might really seem that way, and that's a good way to feel sometimes, but you know, you have to be realistic, and you have to expect that at some point, someone is going to do something that you don't agree with 100%.
1: Right, exactly. And and I think it's important to realize that if you really want to find the soulmate, as we've talked about before, and as some of these scientific studies kind of indicate, it's not something that just happens. And it's not something that's magic. (laughs) You have to work at it and you become soulmates over time. So the key is is looking for somebody you can build that long-term connection with and grow with rather than expecting to find this excitement and just saying, oh, well, it's exciting, so they must be my soulmate for now. Yeah,
0: you know, I mean, in this question here, the listener saying everything is easy. Well, of course it's easy at first because you haven't had any challenges yet. Challenges come over time. Um, perfect to start, and it's exciting, you know, Things are exciting at first. We talked about the chemicals that kind of allow that to allow us to feel that way. But you can also find things to keep things exciting, moving on. When things go wrong, they go wrong because they're not meeting your expectations, and that's because your expectations are off. So the more you can be realistic about those expectations in any relationship, even if it feels like it's your soulmate, the better off you'll be because you'll know how to handle and you won't see it as, you know, earth shattering or as something that's going to end your relationship because something, you know, it's a, it's just a speed bump or a roadblock that you just have to get around and work through.
1: Right. I think that's a really good point. And I also think it's a really great place to end the show this week.
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining us this week at Adulting. Be sure to visit our website at adulting.tv, subscribe in iTunes, and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate that.
1: Right. And don't forget to join us in our Facebook community and send us a question if you have one.
0: All right. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv.